Good morning. I'm going to begin by reading from Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to turn there. It's page 1190, if you're reading from a pew Bible. Lewis Castles was once asked, how long does it take to become a Christian? Castles' answer was, it only takes a moment to become a Christian, and it takes a lifetime. His point is that you become a Christian in a moment when you put your faith in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. But once that seed has been planted in your heart, it should continue to grow as you nurture it and cultivate it. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews is written to some believers in Jesus, and it sounds like that growth process has begun to stall out in their lives. So the author writes to encourage them to keep holding on to Jesus and don't turn away from him. So let me read for us from Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The letter to the Hebrews is written to a group of believers in Jesus who are facing opposition simply because they believe in Jesus. And they're wondering, is it worth carrying on with Christ? Are there ways we could ease this pressure that we're facing? It sounds in some places in the letter to the Hebrews as if some of them are even thinking of reverting to the old covenant Jewish religion, which in that time was still a legal religion. Over and over, as the author writes to these believers, his encouragement is the same. Keep moving forward with Christ. Keep holding on to him. 
And that's why he writes in this chapter that we've just read about Jesus, their great high priest. Jesus knows what it is to face opposition as a human being. He knows what it is to learn to trust God as a human being in the face of that opposition. And so the author is saying to his readers, you can hold on to this Jesus, and he will walk with you in all the pressure and opposition that you face. But you may have noticed in verse 11, right in the middle of this discussion about Jesus, it's as if the author just stops mid-sentence and he turns toward his readers to warn and encourage them. And he basically says to them, you have been in Christ long enough. You should be able to teach each other what I am telling you about Jesus. You should be able to encourage each other to keep holding on to Christ. But instead, he says, you are like babies. You still need to be breastfed by your mothers. He would like to continue to tell them about Jesus, but he says, it's hard to explain to you. And it isn't the ideas about Jesus that are hard. It's because he says they have become dull of hearing. That phrase that he uses in verse 11 is a word that could be used to describe an athlete who has gotten out of shape. Think of the famous slugger who in retirement has developed a huge beer belly, and now he can barely walk to first base, let alone run. That's what's happening to these believers. They are becoming dull spiritually, and they are not moving forward with Christ. Their specific problem is they're not paying enough attention to the teaching from scripture that they ought to be able to use to encourage each other. So their dullness of hearing isn't actually a hearing problem. It's an obedience issue. It's not their lack of ability to understand. It's a lack of willingness to understand. And maybe part of the way they're thinking about it is if we don't get too serious about this Jesus stuff, then maybe people won't notice us so much, and maybe the pressure that we're feeling right now will ease up a little bit. But in doing that, they are training themselves not to listen to the teaching of scripture that they need. And so they have become spiritually hard of hearing. If you're a believer in Jesus, do you remember when you first came to Christ? I was a junior in high school, almost 17 years old, and I couldn't get enough of reading the Bible. I couldn't get enough of going to church and hanging out with all those brothers and sisters I never knew I had before. The readers of Hebrews are actually the opposite of that. They are resisting the teaching from scripture that they need. They are calculating in their minds, maybe it's risky to gather with my brothers and sisters. I don't want to be so closely identified with Christ as a way to ease the opposition. Why is this so bad? The author says in verse 12, you have been around the faith long enough, you ought to be teachers. And he's not thinking of teaching in any formal sense. He's not saying you all need to be pastors. He's just thinking of that informal encouragement that believers give to one another 
as we help each other continue to follow Jesus, as we look at who Jesus is and we seek to strengthen and encourage each other. But instead of doing that, he says, you are stuck. You are focusing on the basic principles of the oracles of God. The oracles of God is just a way to describe the scriptures. And maybe in the book of Hebrews, it's those scriptures as they are especially understood in light of Christ and his death and resurrection. But the author envisions that teaching about Jesus as the basic principles. Think of it as when you went to school, what's the basic thing you learn in school? A, B, C. So it's like the letters of the alphabet. And once you learn the letters, then you start to form words with those letters. And maybe, hopefully, eventually you learn to read. Some of those basic principles the author has in mind, he talks about at the beginning of chapter six. Things like resurrection and judgment, repentance and faith. But for his readers, even though they've learned these ABCs, it's now like they've forgotten them. It's like a brand new day with a kindergarten teacher and nobody remembers what we've talked about the first month of school. So they're leaving behind this foundational teaching. They've learned their ABCs, they started to form words, and now all of a sudden they don't even know what the letter A looks like. And so he has to begin to teach them all over again. And what he's saying to them is, you know enough about Christ, you should be teaching and challenging and encouraging each other to hold on to Christ. But instead, somebody's got to teach you about Jesus all over again. So he says in verse 12, you are acting like babies who are still drinking their mother's milk. And now you're unable to eat at the adult's table. Look again at how he says that at the end of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. We know what this is like with our babies. They start with milk. But if they are growing normally, they advance beyond milk and eventually can eat solid food. But the author is saying to his readers, you're like teenagers sitting at the table going, mommy, this bread is too hard to chew. And they're going all the way back to becoming infants and not being able to eat solid food. What is missing, he says, it is the word of righteousness, which is another way to speak of the oracles of God, the teaching about the true nature of God's righteousness, the teaching about following Jesus, even when it's hard, even when it costs you something. That's what his readers are moving away from. So they are teaching themselves not to practice the teaching about scripture that they need for the struggles that they face. So clearly these words are a rebuke. The author is not suggesting that there's such a thing as a permanent state of spiritual babyhood. In the Christian life, there's no neutral gear where you can just kind of coast and take it easy. By definition, a Christian who doesn't grow isn't a Christian. So his words here are meant to encourage them, leave behind 
spiritual babyhood. Keep moving forward and embracing the teaching about Christ that you need so that you can continue to follow him. And again, we know what this is like with our babies. We give them milk, but if they don't grow over some period of time, we take them to the doctor and we go, what's wrong? Why aren't they growing? If they never move on to more than milk, then we would say our children are not as healthy as they should be or could be. So the author is trying to serve here as a pastor, as a shepherd who is concerned for his flock. From verse 11 of chapter 5 all the way through the end of chapter 6 is his warning, his encouragement, his rebuke to these believers. He's basically acting like a doctor who's trying to make the correct diagnosis of your symptoms and your illness so that he can help you. And we all know what doctors are like. Sometimes they do things that hurt us, but we know that in the long run, they will hopefully help us. And so we submit to that. And as followers of Jesus, we can probably each think of times that we received encouragement from someone, but it didn't quite feel encouraging. Maybe it actually felt like, I think they just wanted to chew me out. Hopefully we can all think of times when someone did come and offer encouragement. And maybe initially the conversation was a little uncomfortable. Maybe we were hearing some things about ourselves we didn't immediately want to gravitate to, but we can look back and say, I'm grateful that that brother or sister cared enough to speak into my life and to point me toward Christ. Maybe we can all also think of times when a brother or sister was speaking with us and we knew, I need to say something to help them. I need to encourage them. And we didn't know what to say and we lost that moment of opportunity. So the author is trying to serve in those kinds of ways in the life of his readers. He's trying to encourage them. And I think that's what is most encouraging about what he does. He shows us a good, proper way to try to minister to one another because his motivation is to restore them. He's not just writing these words to chew them up. He's not acting as someone who loves to be right, who finds great pleasure in telling other people off. He wants to restore them and renew them and point them back on the right path so that they can continue to follow Christ. And he doesn't just tell them, here's what's deficient. Here's what you need to think about. He gives them specific things to think about to help them move forward and continue to follow Christ. And that's where he goes in verse 14. Look there at what he says. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So who can receive this kind of teaching that he's offering them? He says it is the mature who can eat solid food. The mature, he says, are those who are training themselves to be able to distinguish good from evil. For his readers, he means by that that you are learning to know the right choices you need to make 
so that you can continue to follow Jesus even when life is hard, even in the face of the opposition that is coming your way. So think again about our babies. When our children are young, they cannot tell right from wrong. And we understand that. A three-month-old infant who's hungry for milk will stick anything it can find in its mouth because it's hungry. There's no discernment. It can't distinguish what is good and what is wrong. And in the same way, spiritual babies cannot always discern what is right from what is wrong. They will put anything in their mouths spiritually without regard to whether or not it can actually help them or may end up hurting them. So for the readers of the letter to Hebrews, the author is saying to them, if you are growing in this kind of maturity, you will recognize that doing something like going back to the Jewish religion is not the way to embrace God's true teaching about righteousness that can only come through your great high priest, Jesus. So how can his readers become more mature? He says in verse 14 that it takes constant practice to sharpen their spiritual senses. Some of that you and I can learn from others. You can read good authors and observe how they think their way through scripture and learn from them. Some of that, hopefully, we can learn from each other here at TCC. If you are engaged, for example, in one of the Bible study opportunities that we have. Now, I know sometimes Bible studies tend to sink to the level of everybody just trying to show off how much they know. But in their best forms, Bible studies can be moments where we learn from each other. We hear how another brother or sister is thinking about scripture how they are struggling to submit their heart to the teaching about Christ. And that encourages us and motivates us to want to do the same. And if you're someone like the readers of Hebrews and you feel just really, really stuck, I feel like I don't know how to keep moving forward with Christ, then hopefully we can also encourage each other here in the body of Christ. Find a brother or sister who is walking faithfully with Jesus and say, can I just hang out with you for a little while? Can I see how you process life, especially when it's hard? Can I learn from you how to keep holding on to Jesus, even when it's really hard to hold on to Jesus? The primary source of this spiritual solid food that the author is pointing them to is to learn and read and think your way through the scriptures. These words about Jesus are the ultimate source of life and hope to those who are his children. And usually that involves slow, deliberate, steady growth. It's often not nearly as quick as we would like it to be, but it is part of God's plan that through constant practice, constant interaction with the scriptures, we learn a little bit more about Jesus each time. And our souls are encouraged to keep trusting him in deeper and more meaningful ways. So it requires constant practice. And then when we know the truth, we obey it. And we pray for the courage to actually follow Jesus 
in that moment. And again, think about your babies when they were young. We don't expect our infants to have milk four times on Tuesday and then magically wake up Wednesday morning a strapping six-foot-tall, 210-pound teenager. It takes constant, deliberate, slow, steady feeding. And that's the way we grow spiritually as well. I expect that the readers of the letter to the Hebrews don't disagree with their shepherd, but they need courage, and they're afraid. They're wondering, is the pressure going to get worse if we keep holding on to Jesus? And they're naturally and normally concerned about what will happen. They do not know how things will end up. The author does not write and say to them, I can guarantee you it's going to get all better and wonderful if you hold on to Jesus. But what he does guarantee them is that Jesus is better and wonderful that he is worth holding on to, no matter what they face. So they want the pressure to go away, but the thing they need is not their own ability to resist the pressure. The thing they need to hold on to is the truth about who Jesus is, and that will give them the strength that they need. It is not their ability to handle pressure, but it is Jesus that they need to keep holding on to. And so that's why the author stops right here in verse 11, in mid-sentence, to try to get their attention and say, listen to this teaching about Jesus. This is what you need. I'm giving you the thing that will help you as you face this opposition. And so he invites them, keep turning back toward Jesus. Keep embracing the teaching about righteousness so that you can endure in the face of the opposition that you are facing. Now, none of this is meant to be intimidating. The author is not saying to followers of Jesus, you need to go out and get a theology degree so that you can know all the truth about Jesus so that you can follow him. All he's saying is you need to constantly practice reflecting on the truth about Jesus as it's found in the scriptures. Because what you believe about God affects your thinking. What you believe about God affects your relationships. What you believe about God affects all of your life. And even if you've walked with Christ for a long time, your thinking about God still needs to be refined, still needs to be renovated, to be more and more in line with the scriptures. And honestly, that's all theology is. What's true about God? And how can I respond to that truth? If you pay attention to our shepherd every Sunday, week after week, that's what Pastor Greg does for us. Here's what the scriptures teach. Here's some ways you could respond to this truth about God. And that's really all our author is saying here. That the deepest theology is not big fancy words that can dazzle people. The deepest theology is that which will enable you to hold on to Jesus to the end of your life. The most spiritually mature are those who will follow Jesus even when they are opposed, even when it's difficult. 
and not because they're tough New Englanders and they can handle anything, but because their confidence and trust in God keeps growing as they cling to him. If you're someone here this morning and you don't yet believe in Jesus, then there's solid food for you to chew on here in Hebrews chapter 5. Jesus died for your sins. And because of his obedience as a human being, the author writes in verse 9 that he can be the source of eternal salvation to all of those who will believe in him. If you don't yet believe in Jesus, for the very first time, you can put your faith and trust in him and find that he is good and faithful. If you do believe in Christ, then in light of these words, evaluate where you are. Evaluate, are there places in your life where you are still a spiritual baby and you need to grow up in Christ? Evaluate your patterns. Do you drink only milk or do you eat solid food? What do you eat spiritually? What do you read? What do you think about? What do you watch? So much of what we consume these days dulls our spiritual senses. So much of what we take in these days weakens our trust in Christ. So much of what we consume these days involves no thinking and no self-reflection. It's all gut. It's all reaction. Think about it this way. If you spend five minutes a day reading the Bible, and then you spend five hours a day watching CNN or Fox News or scrolling through Facebook, you will remain a spiritual baby. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Christ, then for you, maybe five minutes a day is a great place to start. Just read one chapter in the Bible, and then think for a moment, what is this telling me about who God is? And then praise God for what you've seen in that scripture about who he is. It's that constant, steady practice that the author is encouraging us to. But here's some more good news. Whether you know your way backward and forward through the Bible, or whether you're brand new to it, none of this is to earn your salvation. No matter how much you read the Bible, you will not become more worthy of the salvation that is yours in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are loved by Christ, period. But God wants you to grow in your dependence upon him. Like the author of Hebrews, God loves you too much to leave you drinking milk all of your life. Eugene Peterson once compared spiritual growth to planting potatoes. If you decide right now, I want potatoes for dinner tonight, it's not gonna do you any good to go home this afternoon and plant potatoes in your garden. There's gonna be a long stretch of silence between that planting and harvesting. But during that silence, there is nurturing, there is cultivating, 
there is growth, and finally, there will be a harvest. Eat the solid food of slow, steady growth in Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we give you thanks for your scriptures that reveal to us our great and glorious high priest, Jesus. Keep teaching us to cling to the words about him that give life to our souls. Amen.